Hello guys and welcome back to the podcast with myself and Alex. So today we're going to jump through training, which is a very apt topic and something that we were planning on doing much earlier. A few things popped up with myself, obviously with a few competitions back to back and then being at home, didn't have the podcast set up. Um, Alex has had a few kind of health issues as well. And if you want a little bit of a, an insight into that with the previous previous bout to the hospital. Yeah, so Dara, um, as pretty much everyone will know, I've been in and out of hospital trying to get my stomach issues resolved. Um, so I went in, this will be the second time now, I went in for a biopsy, um, not even for a biopsy, I didn't even go for the biopsy. <laughs> I went I went for the, um, what's it called? It's basically a tube down in gastro, 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 or something like that. Yeah, it's absolutely disgusting. <laughs> it was like the worst, worst thing, but it's the second time I've done it. The first time I went in, they couldn't get it done um, because I, I didn't have anesthesia the first time. So I just had like throat spray, which is meant to numb your throat. And I basically just completely panicked. Um, so basically, yeah, you have to put a big tube with a camera down Alex's mouth into yeah. his stomach. And yeah, the first time he went out by himself. So he couldn't get anesthetized what is it oh, yeah i can get um pretty good couldn't get anesthetic anyway so um he had to stand there awake and it was awful if you think about it the, the size of the tube is like one of my fingers so it's like it's pretty hefty it's like the five five pence piece plus so it's, it's thick and so like that's got to go down your throat so we had that um the first the first time couldn't do it i lasted about 10 seconds and then they pulled it out because my heart rate went up to like 160, 180. And they were like, nah, not a fucking chance. Um, so the second time it was it was better. Um, so I had fentanyl, <laughs> which prescribed right away. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I, had, I had some fentanyl, which knocked me for six, like literally in my system for like at least three days. Because obviously I, I don't choose anything at all like that ever. And Jesus Christ, my uh it knocked me for six but anyway they went in they found some like polyp sized or type things um that they've taken biopsies from so we're still waiting for the results of that so fingers crossed the um the results will come up very soon so i can find out why the fuck i am still being sick <laughs> yeah like, i'm actually like really interested i keep asking you like any results because actually <laughs> i love these kind of case studies um yeah. But anyway, yeah, so let's get into it. So that's what Alex yeah. uh, My brain just hasn't been working from being in multiple right. weeks. So um, we're back now. But anyway, today we're going to go through training. So the main things that we want to kind of concern ourselves when we're talking about training is, I suppose, keeping it like relatively basic because I think like in this industry, there may be, I don't want to overstep a line here because like context is important for each individual, but there is an over like a hyper acuity or over analytical approach to training in a lot of cases. Um, so like when we look at our training, what are, what are we trying to do? Like the driving mechanisms of hypertrophy. So essentially we have mechanical tension, which is potent strain on your muscle, which again, taking it into particularly in length and ranges, getting stronger via progressive overload is going to drive that adaptation. You're causing some damage to muscle via mechanical tension um, and other pathways as well and then we have kind of like metabolic soil training which would also then be kind of like 
bringing some blood into tissue. So when people do like drop sets and so on as well. And yes, they are different, but like one does kind of cause and affect the other. You know what I mean? They aren't like dimorphic in nature. So essentially we need a good balance, but essentially like most of our adaptation will come from that mechanical tension factor simply by getting stronger and taking things into length and ranges while still keeping them somewhat active. So um, the active range thing is probably, uh, uh, again, maybe an over-analyzed topic. Um, What's your take on it when we're looking at the training and active and passive ranges? I think the whole concept of training is massively over-analyzed and over-complicated in some respects. Like, I think for the vast majority of people, just fucking training and training with proper intensity and training with proper form, controlling that weight, so using a correct tempo will most likely be enough. It's like when you cross that border to your higher athletes or your, your more advanced athletes that it kind of starts to make a little bit more of a difference. Saying that, you look at some of the Mr. Olympias who train like complete shit. <laughs> so it, it's 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 a catch twenty two. It like active and passive to, uh, range. You obviously want to be in your active range, and anything that's going to be passive is kind of going to be putting you into a position where the weight's taking the work and not really so much muscle. Um, in my opinion, um, it's it's going to be like going past into that passive position where that weight's pushing you down. For example, in the leg press, and your knees are up by your eyeballs. It's kind of like you know it, where where's the tension there? Is it you know it, it's it's um it's gone past that point that's going to be of any particular benefit? In my opinion, it's uh it's better to stay within that active range, keeping the tension through the tissue, and then you're actually getting a, a nice contraction through that. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I do think there is a little bit more nuance, and obviously that's the approach that I, or the thought process that I had for a good while, but I think it'll probably come more so when, when we're looking at like maybe injury prevention or like weak body parts, where like maybe taking things into quote-unquote passive ranges when you have a limited range could be of benefit. Obviously there is a slightly, slightly elevated risk factor there, but essentially what we're talking about in like active and passive range of motion is like, can you get into that position without any load? If you can, then that's your active range. If the load is taking you into that position, like Alex mentioned with the leg press, when you're listening to your kneecaps, then that's that's passive range of motion because the weight is forcing you in there. So ideally, yes, we do want to stay mostly within that active range, but I think pushing that towards kind of like the borderline where it does kind of trickle over, could be of benefit essentially because of the fact that we will see more stimulatory processes occur from the length and range you know what i mean like people who just do partial reps like pump reps they're not going to get the same mechanical tension as people who do the same in the length and range mm-hmm. so that's probably something we see within our training as well as like we'll probably bias a lot of work towards our length and range um and on the 10 sorry Especially on like the eccentrics, it's like slowing that eccentric down and say have an isometric hold in that eccentric phase. It's kind of like that's where the benefit's going to be. Because if you think about where tissue's added, it's added in sequence or in tandem. So it's like either alongside each other or next to each other, essentially. So it's like by adding length to a tissue, that's when you're going to get nice bulbous muscles. (laughs) Yeah. And that's what I was going to segue into is like, 
we want to and we can bias that tension factor via tempo and this is why it's prescribed so if we're controlling that weight a lot slower on the way down that's going to create a lot more tension on the muscle you know what i mean because you actually have to kind of reduce the force at which that weight is coming down like for a chest press for a leg press whatever it is um whereas if you're just letting that weight kind of yank you into position then all of a sudden you have to produce this large amount of force to kind of stop this is what's called inertia, which again might be overused, but essentially that's going to cause some potential degradation through the joints itself. Um, so again, this is why we prescribe a tempo and it's why we bias that eccentric phase. And we have a much greater strength capacity from an eccentric standpoint as well. Like you can easily take someone who can only press 30 kilo dumbbells, you can give them 40s and they can control it on the way down. Doesn't mean they can press it. You know what I mean? So we want to spend a little bit more time there and slow down that eccentric and control that change of direction. Yeah, I think as well, it kind of depends on the level that you are of a, as, a, as an athlete or an individual. It's like I wouldn't on the gym floor give a first session person who's never walked into the gym heavy 40 kilo dumbbell extensions. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. you've got, you got to pick your battles. And it's like even if I program for example, for somebody that's a lifestyle client who doesn't quite understand what tempo is and it's confusing when they got to count reps, they got to count sets, they got to count everything else. It's like, okay, let's just do slow and controlled, you know? And it's like that, just keeping it simple, but some kind of element or structure, it's like, that would be enough to still elicit a similar thing. So if you say to somebody slow and controlled as opposed to a four, two, one two you know it's like it, it it was like what the fuck is that what does that even mean it makes perfect sense to me and people that lift like on a regular basis and over over time obviously you can progress that but it's um uh, it's just kind of picking your battles and picking out who it is that you're dealing with and what clientele you're kind of currently faced with yeah yeah simple as um the next thing we probably want to touch on is probably strength and resistance profiles which very simply is like the strength profile is how strong you are at a particular muscle length and a resistance profile is how heavy that weight is at a particular range within that rep. So we think about like air pressing, typically we're a little bit weaker in that lengthened position. So when we kind of drop that barbell down um, and then we typically get stronger as we press through, similar with a leg press, which is why you'll see people kind of reverse engineer this and you, you incorporate bands or maybe the machines might be set up with a suitable resistance profile yeah. but essentially we just want to kind of mimic that and kind of marry those up in a very similar fashion you know what i mean we don't want to pick an exercise where we're getting pissed weak as that gets to its heaviest if we think about like a tricep kickback like a dumbbell tricep kickback yeah. it's the stupidest movement ever you know what i mean because like we're pretty strong here where there's no weight because that weight's pulling you down in that length range and as you extend back as you're getting weaker like that weight all of a sudden gets heavy it's like so that doesn't really make sense and um, so yeah we just want to kind of marry those up in some integrated I mean, misunderstanding as well for example when people do reverse band that it's making the process easier in some respects Yes, quote unquote, but also absolutely not. It's kind of literally just a matching that profile to be like, okay, if I'm lifting, say, 140 incline Smith machine chest press, do I need to have more tension or less tension than if I was doing an 80 kilo 
incline to lift and chest press, for example, it's like you're necessarily, you're protecting your tissue, you're protecting your joints, and you're basically going to be pushing out a lot of fucking weight out of a very lengthened position, and you're just going to have to drive that up. And so by having a little bit more tension through that banding, for example, is going to be more beneficial than having the same amount of tension that you would otherwise use on an 80 kilo, for example. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And like, that's the thing. We, it's also going to be a benefit in terms of like controlling that tempo as well. It's going to slow you down. That band is going to slow that weight coming down. And then as you press through, that band should drop off. The issue is that like a lot of people will use this as a crux or a way to boost their ego by putting more load on because they'll use like a thick green band that doesn't kind of drop off whatsoever. And they're just kind of basically using a slingshot through yeah. the and you're just like mate just leave your ego at the door you only need to change that by like maybe 10 to 15 percent from yeah. the lengthened to shortened range so again that, that'll vary per body part and again we're looking at different injuries weaknesses where it is within the session itself but like that's a pretty good kind of benchmark in terms of like 10 to 15 percent for pressing movements like maybe lower body could be 10 to 20 percent um but it's never gonna be anything like significant it shouldn't no. be really light at the bottom and you're only really pressing through the top. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine if it was just like lifting it off your chest? It'd be great. <laughs> yeah, it'd be fucking piss easy. I mean, honestly, I've, I've seen people in the gym that band from the top. So we were looking at a Smith machine. It's like I use a, a daisy chain and a carabiner and then I only use a red band, but I, I triple loop it. Mm. Um, I just find that a nicer movement as opposed to using a big, thick green band. I don't see the point in it. It kind of counts to be the same. Um, but it's like I see people grabbing a great big green one and then wrapping it around the top with one carabiner and then stretching it all the way down. And I'm just like, literally, what the fuck? The yeah. amount of tension that you've got at the bottom there, you're like, you may as well literally just not even bother. <laughs> probably like bring it down to chest, take your hands off and then press. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it presses for you. Yeah, I think it comes down to the equipment that you've got in your gym as well. Um, and actually, actually what you've got available to you. I mean, for example, you've got the prime equipment, which has their own strength curve and you've got yeah. the benefit of that and you can actually manipulate the pin placing and you don't necessarily have to use bands for example to do that because the pins do the work for you um it's still heavy as shit but <laughs> but nonetheless it's like it depends on what equipment you've got um and how how it is that you're looking to use it yeah 100 um so next topic we probably want to touch on is like i suppose intensity and what do we define as intensity so Training intensity could be pretty much defined as like to what proximity to failure do you take your training? Um, and again, like we can throw arbitrary numbers out and there is a massive divide within the industry. And I suppose different approaches that people take with this. You have RIR as in reps and reserve. We have RPE as in rate, rate of perceived exertion. Um, but essentially, like it, it comes down to training hard. Like we can bring our volume up and down to account for the given intensity. You know what I mean? Like yeah. We, like not all sets are created equal. Not all sets are created equal whatsoever. So if you, if you absolutely bury yourself, and like, have you ever done fortitude style training? The what, sorry? Fortitude. No. All right, so do you know what it is? No. 
Okay, so this is like the the baby of Dr. Scott Stevenson, and it's fucking fantastic. I've done it for a good while when I was working with Cal. Um, essentially, it's a four-day split. You have two uh, full-body sessions, and then you have an upper and lower. So your upper, your first full body is going to be heavy upper pump lower. Your other one will be the inverse. So it'll be heavy upper pump lower. And then you have metabolic lower, metabolic upper spread across the week. So you're hitting everything three times a week. One heavy, which is going to be really low rep range stuff. Then we have in the pump session, it's going to be high rep range stuff. And then the metabolic stuff will be like rest, pause, muscle rounds, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You could say it's like trying to target different muscle fiber types, but again, you might be kind of clutching at thrust. Um, well, yeah, it's, it's a very, very effective way to train, but you really only need very little volume. You know what I mean? If you're doing maybe one or two sets of hack squat on your heavy lower session, then on your upper, sorry, on your pump lower session, you might be doing like two sets of high rep leg extension. Yeah. But if you take each of those there, you can still grow like a fucking weed. Like Cal, Cal ran himself, and I think he put on like 40 pounds in that block. Jesus. So, again, like we can, there's an inverse relationship with that intensity. As intensity goes up, you can bring your volume down. So, if you're really fucking sending, you don't need that many sets. And the inverse is then true as well. You know what I mean? Like, if you're training piss poor intensity and you're leaving reps in the tank, yeah, for yeah, you yeah. to grow, you're going to need to do a lot more sets. Yeah. And essentially, that's kind of like the, the argument that people have with regards reps and reserve training or maybe just when you see someone who's not progressing and they have weak body parts it's like okay clearly eight sets here isn't enough for you across the week let's bring you up to 12. yeah you might do that over a few weeks or whatever but excuse me um i think i think it depends on how much people want to push me or push me <laughs> you don't need to push me <laughs> I push myself, <laughs> um, but it's like it, it really depends on how much people want to genuinely push themselves. And I think, and that that's the overall intensity aspect is you know from just working on the gym floor for for years, it's you see the plethora of what people will stop at. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's just like, why the fuck have you stopped? <laughs> um, and I think they just that, get bored. Huh? It's like they just get bored. Yeah, it's like oh, I've hit my I've hit my rep range. Yeah. And why? Why the fuck haven't you increased it then? You know what I mean? It's like, and I and I even I have these conversations now with like online clients, and I'm like, oh, like show me your logbook, like let me see your tracking, let me let me see what's going on. It's like, okay, well, we could have increased lift here. Why? What happened here? You know, and you got to analyze it, and like that's the whole beauty of having a logbook and analyzing what happened, what went on, and like I'll make notes on on my each rep and I'll make not each rep but each set to be like okay well this happened this is how it was I was feeling I pushed myself to this position what's going to happen next week and I'll basically set myself up to be like next week I want to achieve x y and z or yeah this is how I was feeling I felt like complete shit need a deload or whatever the situation is and it's kind of like that is that understanding of yourself and how it is that you're feeling being able to push yourself to that limit it's kind of like okay that's you, but that individual has to find that for themselves. Um, and just sometimes, like, you know, I've worked with people who just physically, no matter what I do, no matter how much I'm shouting at them, will not go to fucking failure, will not even get close to 2RIR, you know? It's um, it's just one of those things. It's like, okay, so, well, what do I need to do as a coach to get you there? And it is, unfortunately, to increase volume. Yeah, so that's the thing. It's like, 
they're clearly not taking each set where they need to go. So, okay, let's do that again. You know what I mean? And people should hear this and again, reverse engineer this. Like, okay, maybe I don't need to do five sets on leg extension every week. Or sorry, every lower body session again, let's hope that you're training each muscle group twice per week. Um, but like, if you can take it there, you won't need to do as much. So this kind of comes into then like a time efficiency standpoint. And also an enjoyment factor as well. Like it, it's pretty fucking rewarding to actually take a set there and feel what pain or what failure actually is. And a pretty good benchmark of like a reference point that you could use is like, I know I've done this previously, like it's again, it's something you can suggest online, but you can't really kind of do it like first hand. But get someone onto a fucking assault bike, onto an air bike. You get them to sprint, you get them to do rounds and you say, bury yourself. Like people are much better at taking themselves to failure with something like that, like hit or cardiovascular stuff, than resistance training. Mm. Like it's understandable because there are like skill acquisition and motor patterns that we need to learn for lifting. Yeah. Whereas if you're on an assault bike, it's a fixed environment. You can just kind of you just go, you exert yourself at 110% until you feel like your lungs are bleeding. And it's like, okay, take that same sensation and now stay on that set on the leg extension until you feel yeah. that same sensation yeah anyway, like use that as a reference point and that's such an invaluable tool in terms of like showing someone what failure actually feels like you know it's funny that like I, <laughs> i've had clients before who fake failure yeah they just get so hard oh, oh. Like, <laughs> shut the fuck up and crack on like just like you can't fake an orgasm with me like you know what i mean i, I will <laughs> I will find out. It's just, it's just one of those things. It's like, I know what figure looks like. Like, I even look, I've worked with so many people. It's like, I can look at you and I'll be like, I can see where you're at. I can see by the contraction. I can see by how quick you're, you're moving. I can see how quick the weight's moving. I can see how quick from the last rep to the next rep. If, if like the last rep was fucking fabulous and fantastic. And then the next rep is like, it just completely drops off. I'm like, there's a question on that one. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've had it before, and I think that's. Um, I think people sometimes yeah do, do kid themselves. So it's uh, yeah, it is it is interesting to to see, and it is just the the case of trying to find out how much you're willing to to do. Yeah. Um, and if you're not willing to do it, then don't be disappointed when you don't get where you want to go. If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, that's fair, and yeah, just a very fair point. I forget what I was going to say next. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, like that. Actually, yeah. Sorry, that's um, that's what I was going to say. Is something you mentioned there is like again rep speed. So mechanical tension and also like defining failure. I suppose this is I think Luke Hoffman's quote on this. Um, like failure can be defined as an involuntary reduction in contraction speed. Hmm. If we break that down, as like involuntary so you're not doing it consciously it's happening by itself reduction in contraction speed so the rep is slowing down so essentially your reps are getting slower and slower but you're still trying to work at the same rate and that is simply slowing down by proxy of fatigue so you're accumulating fatigue as you go through the reps are getting slower you have to grind out those last few and then that is essentially your benchmark or your reference point for if that was actually failure and it should be like a gradual kind of decrease. You know I mean, you might have the first, let's say in a 10 rep set, your first six might be the same speed and then it might get slower, slower, slower. Uh, until like that last rep, 
yeah, we prescribe a four or two one tempo, but like that last rep could be like five seconds, like the concentric where you're trying to get it in two seconds. So yeah, um, really just looking at like how slow and how much you have to push to grind at that last rep. Yeah, is yeah, I, I, I think benchmark. from my perspective is like once the last rep's done, you're done. That's you don't need to go past that because it's like in 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 the sense of forced reps. Yeah. Yeah, you've done that. Uh, time and place, you know what I mean? And I think if fatigue is being managed well, you have all your ducks in a row, uh, for a short transient period of time, you can get away with some forced reps to accumulate more volume, particularly if you are super physiological, if you are assisted, you will yeah. have greater recovery capacity. Uh, but and look, again, short, short term, you know what I mean? It's not something that you want to do extensively, the same way with kind of metabolic training, like we might not program rest, pause style sets or muscle rounds or drop sets in our first block with a client. You know what I mean? Or, or maybe even like coming off the back of a deload or coming off the back of a contest or a photo shoot prep, you're not going to throw them under the bus there and like bury them with, with that kind of style of training because that's simply a means to accumulate more volume. Whereas Again, there's that inverse relationship between like volume and recovery capacity and fatigue. So if you're heavily fatigued, your recovery capacity is going to be in the bin. You can't handle much volume. So we're not going to use like any set intensifiers. So, I mean, it's, I think the whole volume question is an interesting one. It's like I put something on my Instagram story the other day being like, what is the amount of volume that you can successfully recover from? Because from my standing point, if you can't recover, there's literally no fucking point. Like, there's no point burying yourself exactly as you just said. And it's um, it's like literally everything. So it's like um, it was like ten to fifteen, fifteen to twenty, twenty-five to plus or whatever it was, and and it, everything was like twenty-five percent of each. So it's like I probably had like over a hundred people, uh, yeah, over a hundred people uh, like all this. So it's like it's really interesting to see from my perspective. It's just like. It doesn't make a fucking difference. Everyone is different. And I think that's the beauty of being a coach to see what works for some people. Some people are like, literally, I'm, I'm not even remotely fucked. And it's like, wicked, let's, let's, let's boost up your volume. Other people like myself, like I can't handle much volume. Yeah. Whatsoever. I think that's pretty much because my intensity is so, so like exacting and I am so precise with the way that I do things. Like I, I need a deload <laughs> like every... Yeah four to six weeks you know and that's um that's physiological or super like you know it, it it doesn't it doesn't make a difference like i'm still needing that deload at the same time um so what you probably see in there as well i think if you actually go through the people who voted and this isn't throwing shade at anyone it's like the more trained individuals the stronger individuals were probably going in the less volume approach um, it, was, it was a mixed bag. Genuinely, it was a mixed bag. Like some people, yeah, some people genuinely needed um, more, more, more volume in order to kind of get that stimulus, which is which is absolutely fine. Like, it's just, um, I, I just find that fucking wild. I couldn't imagine doing a twenty-five plus thirty plus <laughs> set workout. I, I'd be there for probably about three hours and absolutely fucking crawling out, <laughs> like. Yeah, but like that's it's like everything works. You know what I mean? Like there's a time and place, and like every style of training still uses these same underlying principles of mechanical tension, metabolic adaptation, muscle damage. 
like they, they're all intertwined. We can't really like separate those. I think if we try to do that, we're kind of missing the forest for the trees. Like we're not really getting the full scope picture of what we are actually trying to do. And that's simply progressive overload using more load week on week on week. So um, yeah, there is going to be that. And then there's also like the practicality factors of like how many sets you can allocate as you said there with regards like a three hour session to do yeah. some other sets. Like it's, it's probably not feasible for most people. So again, we need to think about time efficiency standpoint. If someone does need that many sets, but they are time constrained, then let's go with rest, pause, drop sets, supersets. You know what I mean? Like there is a time and place for that kind of stuff as well. Um, and enjoyment. You know what I mean? It's like if you really enjoy that low volume fortitude style training, or if you enjoy staying in the gym for X amount of time with few reps in reserve and just getting a pump, rest, pump, rest, cool, go for it. Like if 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 it's working for you, don't change it. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think on what do you think on rest? Because it's like I think for myself, whenever I do programming, I I very rarely unless it's like a muscle round for et cetera, et cetera, we'll, we'll stipulate a rest period. Yeah. Um, so it's something I used to do, but again, it's more so now just like with those set intensifiers. But I just have like at the top of the training block, it's like rest periods allow sufficient time for recovery to perform in the subsequent set without like taking away from the flow of the session. You know what I mean? And so it's... Yeah, you don't want to rush back in too quick that you're not going to be able to like perform again, but it's there's an upper limit. You're not going to take four minutes. You know what I mean? You still need to go back in there. Otherwise, you're getting called and the session just kind of feels broken and shit. Yeah. So there I is... I take four minutes. <laughs> yeah, but like, that would be something time, heavily fatiguing. Let's say you're doing block. Yeah, yeah. Let's say you're doing a hack squat. You know what I mean? There, there is going to be that larger systemic fatigue but like if you're taking five minutes between sets on the leg extension I, I, a lot of question marks <laughs> if you're going on your phone you know what i mean and that's why and like that time does fly by and then, again just like a side note is why i tell people to use a logbook and they're like oh yeah i logged in my phone it's like once you open your phone you're getting distracted you know what i mean like that will go pretty fucking quick so and um, yeah just Few considerations like old school pen and paper, minimize distractions, focus on the next set. And like psychologically, like you're, you're looking at those numbers, you know what you've put down, you're staying in that zone. Um, because there is a large underlying psychological component as well. I, I, it keeps you focused, in my, in my opinion. And I'm like, I get, I get clients who transition from using their phone, and honestly, like a phone is fucking messy. Like it, it doesn't really, it's, it's not there. It's not tangible. It's not what the work that I've done. Um, and then when you open a logbook and you see the numbers from the previous week in it, and you've got those notes next to it and it kind of like reminds you of like, fuck yeah, I remember that session. Now let's dig in, let's go more. Yeah. Um, and that's the beauty of a logbook. In my and even just like basic notes. And like, yeah. this is something that most people should do is like the setup of your machine. Like what... Yes. Where, where do you have that set and is that standardized week on week you know what i mean like where do you set your leg extension height the seat like all these things you should trial and error in your first week or two of a new block get familiar with each piece of equipment log that down and then like you you have those reference points and that's basically your crux of what you should use then moving forward um 
<laughs> I, I, I get that all the time with like uh, lifestyle clients who just jump on an equipment and they just start working. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, yeah. <laughs> like your, your back, your legs, what? I was like, approach the equipment, set it up and then get in. I was just like, you don't just jump on from the last person's use. Yeah. And I was like, please, please stop it. <laughs> like, no. You need to make the machine fit you. Not yes. with the machine, you know what I mean? Because like nowadays we have such fantastic equipment available to us, and like even bog standard stuff. If you're saying, "Oh, I'm trying a fucking leisure center, or whatever," there is still some adjustability. You like if you're in a pure gym, if you're in a fly fit, like there is still ways that you can improve what's there in front of you and make that more efficient. Mm. Um. So yeah, and that's also why like we look at video video analysis and like we're trying to get the most from each set so that we don't have to do so many sets. So again, looking at all these things, like all these factors, they don't add, they multiply. So if, if you really nail down your tempo, your standardizing everything, like that will really, really stand to you over a sustained period of time. It's not going to give you like week one kind of, it's not as if you've jumped on trend, you know what I mean? But like it's going to add up over a long term, whether that be again, like progression in terms of physique development or injury prevention. So again, that's another thing that we can potentially kind of like touch on very briefly. It's reduced likelihood of it of it happening. You know what I mean? Because you're keeping things in a pretty controlled and stable and safe environment. Um, your, your your risk of getting injured is should be very very low. Yeah, um, uh, it will happen at some point. It happened with me and my knee, my yeah. right knee for about eight weeks. I was out with that. Still, so I've got my stomach and my right knee. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Honestly. That's that's the thing, is like there's also gonna be that like you've probably seen maybe in that week or two prior to that injury, you were starting to overreach, you're getting into that point where you are more likely to get injured. Maybe you see a decrease in appetite, maybe you see your sleep quality dropping off, your resting heart rate comes up pump started to kind of diminish you know what I mean odds are it wasn't off the back of a deload and if it was off the back of the deload you just went too far too soon with new equipment so again move this up over time because in that overreaching state where you're more likely to get injured it's bittersweet because that's also where you potentially get most adaptation that's when you're most likely to exactly the point and so it's like I was in the process of doing a PB laying hamstring curl and it felt fine. And then it was two days later, my, it was my, it's my adductor. It led to my adductor, my adductor locked up, um, which basically meant that I couldn't get knee extension, um, which has taken me eight weeks to kind of resolve the problem. So I'm now back training legs, which is good. But yeah. Um, yeah. I think we are, I think we are done. Yeah, pretty much. I think that's the things like, we don't want to go into excessive detail with this kind of stuff because at the end of the day, like nothing matters until it matters. So there's no point in like the vast majority of people, I'm not trying to shade at our listeners, but like let's say it's mostly like gen pop listen to this. It's like, right, these are the things like the very basic stuff that we want to consider, but not get like over analytical with. Because again, if you're not that strong. The, also, again, like the likelihood of you getting injured isn't that great, you know what I mean? Because like you don't have the capacity or the skill level or whatever it is to take things to that like point of failure where you can potentially get injured, where you're hitting PBs where it's, where it's significant load. So 
Yeah, we just want to kind of set things up in a way that is suitable, time efficient, um, makes sense from kind of like a programming perspective. But again, like programming is it's very context dependent. So it's not really something we can discuss with clear accuracy on a podcast because it's a case by case basis. Like who is the program for? What are their weak body parts? What are their structural limitations? How can we out function that bad structure? Yeah. And we just kind of take it from there. Exactly that. So um yeah, if there is anyone who has like more specific questions, like drop either of us a line and we'll get back to you, like show us your program, we can work through it. Um yeah. but essentially like, that's just the basics. That's there is a plethora of other stuff that we could delve into, but I think we'll wrap it up there. Good stuff. So, right, yeah, I'll chat to you soon.